All right. Hey, Raj. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for having me. Really, really pumped to be here. Yeah, it's all a pleasure to have you here. All right. So um, I'm a big fan of context, actually. And I think all our stories, like whoever we are today, uh, whatever we have done in the past, most of that, like who, what our entire personality is, there, there has to be a past around that. So who is Raj actually deep inside behind all the success, all the, you know, startups and businesses and every single thing? Well, it's a great question. I think, I think I, you know, firstly, I completely agree with you. I think it's the, the, the background, the, the ups, the downs, more the downs than the ups, actually, which make, which make us who we really are. So, so who am I? Um, I uh, am a father and a husband. Um, I was born uh, in Kuwait, but I moved to the UK when I was uh, 20. How many years back was that? 22, 23 years back. Um, um, I'm an engineer, but I got into marketing because I fell in love with marketing. And uh, I was, I was, I'm a total geek, you know, at, at heart. But uh, after, you know, I was pursuing a, a, a PhD in AI. But at some point, uh, someone told me about MySpace and how big MySpace was in the US market. People who don't know what MySpace is, MySpace is the Facebook of for older people. Oh well, and now back then we're younger people, but now yeah, we have aged a little bit. Uh, but yeah, so so I built a clone of of of, um, of of the MySpace back in the day, and then fell in love with marketing, and so I became a marketeer. Uh, but at my, in, inside me, I'm still an engineer, a geek. Uh, somebody who loves uh, in, the, in the recent recent years loves the the outdoor, uh, loves to get out there and 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 you know stay out if I can, just, you know doing outdoor things for example. But uh, I also am very passionate about uh, empowering people. Uh, it's a big part of my my core is to empower people because I feel I had the opportunity to do so for myself. And I want to do that for the people who deserve to get a chance to shine. Wow. Amazing. Interesting intro there. So uh, most of the time, what I've seen is like engineers make very good founders, you know, so they can start a business, they can run a business, something like that. But this is probably first time that I'm seeing somebody who's, you know, turned this whole career around marketing. So how did that transition actually happen? Yeah. So, yeah. So I was, I was pursuing a PhD in AI uh, 20 years back. And about 20 years back, and uh, met somebody visiting from the US. He showed me um, MySpace, and I'm like, "Wow, this is amazing! I can I can code MySpace myself." myself. So I I sat down, did 18 hours per day, uh, and like three weeks, I coded a uh, a MySpace clone. Uh, but then I had the MySpace clone, but I don't know how to market this thing. I didn't know how to sell it. So I looked. I went around asking people, "How can I sell this thing?" And they're like. Oh, you need to do marketing. Well, what's marketing? Uh, so I then got a, uh, you know, then found the right people, got a mini scholarship to kind of go into, well, got a scholarship to go into for a mini MBA, started learning about marketing, started loving marketing. Uh, then I founded my first company, which was a, a software for social networks. A uh, bit like, so we can build it for their customers and them to interact and then, helped increase the sales for example that's how we, we began this this opportunity and we as well as to lots of travel companies large travel companies uh, government organizations uh, then 
I wrote a book about this for patient education, about social media marketing. And then I started working for a company in telecom and insurance, showed them uh, and grew their business from seven and a half million to 45 million, in the back of great content and storytelling. And I'm like, this is so powerful. You start a business doing, doing, doing this. So nine years back, I uh, started Goodman Lantern, which is a content marketing agency helping customers sell better and grow faster. Wow. So you were doing all the cool things before they were cool. Um, in many ways, in many ways, like a lot of people think, yeah, a lot of people think that AI is just like, you know, it's just like a new thing. A lot of people have that misconception. You've done that PhD thing. So what was actually AI in terms of business back then and, and now? Like, how do you think, that, you know, both eras are different? I mean, wildly different. Um, when I was doing the PhD, we didn't have enough computing power to actually run um, these 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 really powerful machine learning opportunities. These neural networks are not actually being powered. They're all theoretical. Um, fast forward today, we have, we can compute these like, these large calculations. Uh, we have GPUs, we can actually do that, for example. But back in the day, yeah, we, can just, we just couldn't do it. Uh, so it's all theoretical. Uh, but what's heartening to, to see is that the theory we learned uh, or the stuff we were, were researching, that's been implemented now with some with some variation, but the core is still the same. The concept is still the same. We still are programming neurons for with an AI, and and that's what's heartening to see. I think we are in a very interesting uh, journey. This is just the tip of the iceberg. We'll see a lot more companies doing this sort of stuff, but also as the computational power increases and cost decreases, maybe the energy prices go down as people are talking about solar energy and nuclear and whatnot. I think we have a, a fundamental shift in what it will become in the future where computational power is going to be so inexpensive that actually we all have our own new robots, you know, working, doing our things, for example. Then people talk about, well, what's going to be the future of, of jobs? And, well, you know, it's still such a such a lot of things to un- unravel in the coming days months years that we have you know a very interesting opportunity here but equally something very scary as well yeah exactly um how do you think 10 years from now is going to look like from from marketing standpoint from engineering standpoint yeah it's it's like it's like going back 10 years and, and me saying well you know or this is 20 years and me saying oh you know, there'll be a new job called digital marketing consultant, or there'll be like social media consultant, social media expert. I mean, they didn't even know what that, that was back then. And now we have, you know, companies, industries built on this, right? So we'll have so many new things coming up. Uh, no one can actually predict it, really. I mean, it's we can all just guess it. But it will, I mean, the fundamentals have always been the same. Marketing, you know, was not called marketing back in the day. I mean, say the time of Napoleon, when Napoleon used to do press releases for gazettes to get more money for their war campaigns. You know, nowadays that doesn't happen in that way. You know, you don't have gazettes in the way they, they, are, they were back in the day. Uh, we do online press releases, for example. Things have changed, but the fundamental about, you know, building, promoting, is going to still be the base similar in my opinion. So uh, very interesting, you know, thing that you mentioned that you build a clone for MySpace and I was old enough to use MySpace you know, so, so, so yeah, I'm guilty of that. But, um, one thing that, you know, I'm, I'm from a product world. So, so that's where like most of my career was. So 
just from personal reason, want to understand a lot of the time when you're building a product, like a lot of the times, every single advice that you go to, investors you go to, VCs are pretty common these days you go to, everybody asks for a USP, like what's your unique selling point? And like most people kind of discourage building a clone. So uh, in, in your opinion, Raj of today, uh, what, do you, what do you think about building a clone product? Uh, and like, what exactly do you think about it? Like it's, it's going to work out, it's not going to work out. Uh, why would people want to use that? Yeah, so it's it's interesting. I mean, if you were to look at you know, the first Uber app came out, firstly, that Uber app was not the first taxi app ever. That's, that's not the case anyway. And then after Uber came out and showed their business model, there were so many copycat organizations. Um, and some of them did really well. Uh, some of them actually were managed to kind of get the market share from Uber in countries and then get to get to buy their share as well um so i think at the end of the day i think ideas are cheap it's the execution of the idea which, is, which really matters um so in my story about social media uh software there was social media like facebook and myspace when i was building but i was not cloning the idea i was trying to build a simpler way to actually build your own social network that was what I was. What, that's what we were doing. But cloning can work really well. USPs can be created. But actually, what's really interesting and important is to the execution part of the um, the the idea, the business. And if that's done well, I think businesses which are being replicated can do extremely well. I mean, famously, Rocket Internet. You might have come come across them. You know, they were built on idea of cloning companies and it did phenomenally well. Yeah, totally agree with that and like very well aware of that as well. Um, you, you mentioned execution and I personally think, I've read it somewhere, so it's not like my idea, but I agree to that, that ideas are cheap, probably worth zero. Execution makes them nine figure, 10 figures, whatever you want to call them. So it's all about execution. Um, you started like really, really early on in your career, you know, in an entrepreneurial world, building something. Um, and I think at the heart of it, you you were an entrepreneur since the beginning. It's just like, you know, you, you went down, you sat with somebody and you're like, I'm going to do something of my own. So in terms of execution, what mistakes did you think that you made back then? That If you were to do the same thing again today, you probably wouldn't do that. I think the biggest one, if I was to pinpoint, the biggest mistake I made was not delegating enough. I think a lot of entrepreneurs managers believe that they can do everything themselves uh and that's the biggest let's call it career suicide one can ever do it is just silly to kind of do do that the main idea in my opinion is to like delegate things to teams um internally or externally so maybe bring in people in the company or agencies outside for example um but then to elevate them as well to show them the, the the ropes and then allow them to grow their careers. And I think that's a really empowering thing to do. But also it makes the manager's life easier. So if you're a manager, you're an entrepreneur, that's the way to really scale up scale up operations or or, or businesses. It's not to do everything. That's not ideal really. Uh, and it's not gonna allow to really scale the business up as well. So if I did that better when I was younger, I think Things have been a little different now, but I've learned that you know over the last few years, and I think that's one of the things which I really 
keen to talk more about and actually do more of. Yeah, I think um, in in my decade or like whatever career is, every single time I met an entrepreneur, a lot of people have this idea that, um, you know, from training standpoint, that'll take them I don't know, say fifteen minutes to to you know to train anybody. But it'll just take them two minutes to tell them just go and do this particular job. So people would prefer those two minutes. They would like avoid delegating and they're just like, okay, just going to tell you what to do and you, you you can just do it. But I also think at the heart of it, a lot of people are kind of scared, especially first time founders, second time founders, because they they, they, they need to learn that. Um, they just, you know, are kind of bit of a scare, scarcity going on is, you know, like not going to delegate anything or is, or more of like if we step away from our business, it's not going to work out, but it's actually the opposite, right? It's, it's actually the opposite. Um, a lot of, a lot of time, I think we, we do hear uh, people struggle to figure out what to delegate, what not to delegate. Like a lot of people don't actually differentiate. Uh, this is what's delegating. This is not what's delegating. So it's, you know, what's your framework or, you know, what sort of a thing that you follow, what's model that you have in mind? It's like, okay, if I need to delegate a hundred things, or maybe if I have a hundred things and I need to delegate like 90 of them, how would you find those 90 things? Well, I mean, to begin with, I think the, you know, this famously the Airbnb's founder mentioned that first two things which don't scale really well. And that implies basically do, do stuff on your own initially. And that's absolutely fine to do that. Absolutely okay to actually do stuff um, on your own initially. But then later on is start to rebuild a, a checklist of what's, still on the pile of things one is doing and then delegate that out. So the way I do that is um, there are some elements which need a bit more of the founder mindset um, or needs like inspiration. The bits which require the most inspiration, I would keep that to myself to the last point. So for example, many a times, you know, a lot of founders would keep the sales part to themselves because for big sales, for big strategic, strategic alliances, uh, we need someone with lots of gray hair and lots of experience, and the founder tends to be that person. So that's, that tends to be delegated the last thing to kind of do. Sometimes also, for example, um, I would say uh, I've talked to a lot of founders who, who say that they, they're sort of um, the, the the financial focus is still with the, the, the CEO of the company. So having a very, very clear over the finances and that's actually a good thing to do because every founder should have their numbers in the fingertips uh else they, that's they're in trouble so um well i mean fundamentally businesses is about generating revenue um and you know a lot again that's me may, maybe a bit traditional in, in today's approach because like there are a lot of companies who are just you know raising a lot of cash and just burning the cash but even then, it's, it's worth understanding how much cash is remaining in the bank, how much cash has been burned, what's the run rate, for example, what is the ROI which, which I'm making on the cash I'm burning, what is, for example, the, uh, you know, the customer acquisition cost, the CAC, for example, what is the you know, lifetime value, what's the LTV um, divided by CAC, for example. So just these numbers actually really help because then you know you have a clear understanding of the business and what you need to raise or what you need to like produce in the company to kind of grow the company further. So when people don't have that kind of numbers in their mind as as, as founders and CEOs, is a problem in my opinion. Got it. 
what's your what do you think about in uh, in you mentioned um like a lot of companies you know there is a whole bunch of money then the you know the burn rate is pretty high so what do you think about uh companies who are raising like shit load of money actually like millions and millions and the burn rate just keep going up because they're like scaling like crazy hiring i don't know 100 people in 10 different countries or whatever so what's your opinion on that well i mean i think since we are talking right now sort of may 2023 and you know to to raise the little rounds for example series c b c d for example it's really hard actually to raise money uh is definitely harder than it used to be when during the pandemic for example um so what i've learned from that is that you know obviously some businesses require the cash to to burn in order to kind of grow but if the fundamentals are strong there's still a room to actually build a company which you know uses its own cash flow from customers to to grow the company further I think that for me is very exciting because that shows resilience that is um recession proof organization that is you know they're built on strong principles for example as a company and they're really designed to 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 sort of keep growing but you know famously you know craigslist for example um mailchimp for example these are all bootstrap companies they are they'll kind of grown from the the revenue they generate from the customers that also shows that they are super persistent with their like you know and and meticulous about their good strategy they know what they're burning they know what they're producing they know the customers better than anybody else because they can build stuff which they were going to buy and i think that is a real business which which excites me as you build stuff for customers which they which excites them and helps them grow their business and that then is a, it's a win win for everybody yeah so that's more on the b2b side of the things uh and then you mentioned quite a lot about b2b so we're just you know going through your twitter linkedin is this all about b2b marketing what exactly excites you the most about b2b and not b2c could be personal preference but like why exactly is that so i think i'm i'm a bit biased with b2b mainly because i from the very beginning i've been in b2b uh it is a b2b is a scenario where um fundraising is less of a focus it's more actually building something which is like really going to improve lives of the businesses we work with or they work with and i think that's what um you know that's the focus really um yes a lot of people become we still raise a lot of cash but there are opportunities for a lot of b2b companies to raise no cash uh be bootstrap like we are for example and still grow the grow their business um there's a, there's a real opportunity in that space and i think I, I like as an engineer. I like to really focus on building something which is really valuable to everybody involved—the customers, the team members, the ecosystem we belong to, adding value. And in B two C, again, I don't blame B two C for this. This is what you have to do, I guess, in some niches. Is that you have to raise money first because B two C is expensive. But then, when the when the journey starts, the snowballing effect starts, then it really can generate much more cash than B two B as well. So. it's it's a preference thing i think there's no right or wrong answer in my opinion yeah absolutely um you you started goodman lentil like probably 9 years ago right you were you were you know building a startup and another startup and another startup and then finally you know land on this thing and then you kind of stuck with that for like 9 years why why exactly is that so because you know you, it's it's not like you were doing a job you were actually starting up those com- companies then let you know exiting 
building and exiting but this thing is like looks like pretty close to your heart so uh, so why why is that so yeah so i mean unfortunately or fortunately um as the company was being built i went through a lot of personal challenges mainly with my wife's health um and sometimes you know i think most of the times the downs teach us more than the ups so failures teach us more than the successes that's just a thing i've seen quite often in my life and when i when i was doing this company and you know my wife went through a massive health challenge um i i learned that actually building a company which a with a focus on more than just making money is actually a much stronger uh company there that is not only a company to generate regenerate cash but also a company which kind of gives back to the the ecosystem and um so i was looking for what will be my legacy and uh in that time as a growing the company you know i was thinking about in engineering you know we had when i was doing sciences in school we had you know more women and then i go to university there's like you know one in 50 women for example and then go to you know to work and there's hardly any women in tech and so this that seems a bit odd for example and then i think about you know obviously i have a sister mother wife and then a daughter as i don't want them my daughter to grow up in a unfresh society where you know women are not getting all given opportunity in tech so i basically start to think about how can i create something which can give back and empower women in technology and marketing uh so much so that 80% plus uh team members at Goodman Lantern are women um and you know we are making a change in their lives and we're making you know maybe it's you know for some it's small for some it's big but that change is what excites me which gets me to get up from bed and make a change every day improve it grow it much more that is what powers me and i've learned that when there's a mission behind a company then it's got a limit because it's not about the greed it's about making a change and change is something which is close to our heart and that's why i guess it's 9 years i'm still doing this um and i i hope that i you know it's going to become public and impact a lot of people in the company uh for, for for the betterment of their their future what a vision um you you mentioned like 80% of the workforce today is is, is women is the, is that a conscious decision that you guys just don't not hire male people like yeah is 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 that a conscious decision or is it more like uh we want to be a company where the majority of the you know the workforce is going to be women led so i i wouldn't say that it was conscious initially but we we started to realize that actually if we can bring in the right people the right mindset so we do a lot of like our process of hiring is very thorough we don't get people in based on the the gender or the location it's a based on the skill sets and the mindset and the core values which match goodman lantern's core values so they have to do that but for example if someone's you know has the promise as a mindset as a value system in them but maybe are not at 99 but 98 then we will put it on us to then train them and bring them to 99 for example or 100 percent um that's a commitment we have made to to the to to ourselves uh primarily within to the ecosystem as well that we this is what we're going to be doing and what we're also doing in this in this way is to make the um make the whole whole technology space a bit more um 
sort of neutral, a bit more unbiased, because it actually helps to have different opinions uh, in, in any field. Um, so by having more women in, in, in content marketing for technology companies, we, we actually focus on high tech companies as our core, core business. That actually provides our customers a different viewpoint as well. Also, because we have, and this is something we've seen quite a lot of clients saying that our team members are extremely good at taking care of, our, of, of them. So, you know, because we have that ethos of taking care of our team members, it's exactly the same for, for, for our customers. And that is what we bring in together. This is why having a mission is so powerful for a company. Palms has it, Patagonia has it, and we have it, for example. Okay. Uh, what's like one challenge related to gender equality in, in, uh, in tech and marketing that you face? And like, how have you kind of overcome that? Well, when when I was like, I had, you know, in the previous businesses, I had co-founders, for example, there was a resistance, for example, to actually hire women uh, in the company. There was a sort of resistance, like they, they like, you know, we prefer male developers. Uh, I don't see why that's the case. Why do we need to be, yeah, it, 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 it is fairly common, I would say. It still is. I mean, in, in, today's, era, in today's era, we still are, that's still a thing. And I think that's just unfair. Yeah, we, we have to look beyond this. If you want to build a fair society, if you want to live in a fair society, we have to look beyond this and make a change. So once we take, take a stand, make a stand, you know, and why can't it be us? Not taking any, anybody's side or anything like that. Like, I don't have any opinion on that. But I think most of the time, and now that, you know, you, you mentioned this thing, so if, if I go back, whenever I started working, so in all, like, 10, 12 years, I've seen like 90% of the people, especially in the tech side, um, are like male. It's a male dominant society. Uh, and what's even more important is, is, the, is the leadership. That's like 99% male dominated, right? So uh, I like never, never get to think about like, you know, does that mean women are like not good leaders? They're not good technically like, what does that, that exactly mean? I mean, you know, and again, this is something which, which we, we've been working quite a lot with as well. Like, we, we are we trying to bring in more leadership, which is so our middle management is pretty much all women. Senior, senior management was about 50% women, 50% men. But to, you know, leadership is a very challenging part, right? It's, it's a very intense uh, experience and you know it, I think it it takes time to get get people in, the, in that mind frame to be able to accept that um, I think it's going to change quite rapidly in the coming years uh, that we'll have more women leaders in technology uh, but already we are seeing like new the new Twitter CEO is a lady as well for example and we are seeing others as well coming in so things are changing but sometimes some things are slower than others. And I think this is one of them. Uh, but, um, you know, once we start to really, for example, we have this program called the, the Rising Stars. It's like we, we, we actively find marketing managers in different companies, which are women, and we, we, we interview them and we, we promote them. I mean, there's nothing for us to gain from that. But just to kind of say that, look, these are the role models uh, for the future uh, of the women 
uh, empowerment moment we are, we are focusing on. And look at these women who have made, made a change. You can as well if you're just joining into the, this workforce or you're looking to join the workforce at some point. And so we have this campaign on, on our website, for example. And, you know, it's, it's something which is, which is which we, that really makes us uh, feel like we are making a change. And, you know, I mean, that's, that's really important. Yeah. You know, that, that's wonderful. Did you guys ever come across a uh, pay quality issue as well? The pay gap or something? Because that's been in, in the news, like, I don't know, since like, since, since whenever. It's just like, you know, every single time there's a pay gap between the gender and stuff like that. Do you guys go, you know, have that as well? Yeah, so it's been in the press um, multiple times. I've read, obviously, about it multiple times. Uh, in our company, we have a, we have a handbook uh, which clearly states that there's no differentiation between a man and a woman uh gender sex doesn't matter uh we, we pay the same amount it's based on your skill and and as well as the value system you have and the focus on growth uh if you have these these things then it doesn't matter it doesn't really matter i mean we we, we don't we don't care about gender uh, as a way to differentiate or discriminate for, 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 for pay for example that's just for me that's just wrong Okay. Coming back to content marketing, actually, because you mentioned that a couple of times. Uh, so, but yeah, I was just, go, you know, researching on the background of the company and, you know, almost like 80% of the things was just like around content, content marketing. So how do you define content marketing? What do you exactly have in mind? Because a lot of people have in mind, oh yeah, okay, just put the blog out. So that's what people think about it. Yeah. So content marketing is um, a specialized area where we, where companies can show two things we can do two things with this one is thought leadership uh to really showcase their 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 vision their current thought, thoughts and number two is to help them showcase their organization uh or their mission or the vision by getting more visibility so content marketing really is to kind of help using content using different kinds of, of content does not only blog posts or written content but also video production, websites, social media, you know, white papers, case studies, you, you name it. You really help with thought leadership as well as visibility. And why is that? Like, like in, you know, in most cases, with us human beings, you know, it's, it's about a give and take relationship which we have. If you think of content as a, a source of knowledge or a source to improve oneself, and if a company provides them the knowledge to improve their lives, then actually it's like a gift they're giving them. And that's like, you know, I'll, show, I'll talk to you about a different way of looking at that as well in a second. But that is a way of looking at as well. The content is kind of a, a knowledge, a gift that you're giving to your customers. On the back of that, you build trust with the customers and then they want to follow you and then talk to you, you know, and then potentially buy something from you. So that's the psychological thing, the way I look at it. We look at marketing, they might say, oh, well, content is a funnel, there's a top, middle, and bottom funnel, and there's a, there's a sort of a whole, you know, um, a whole sort of feedback loop, for example. But if we look at what's actually happening is we're educating people by, by content, top of the funnel. Then we talk, educate them about our actual offering, service or product, for example, and then we help, help them to buy from the organization. In many ways, like that sort of the psychological karma thing, you know, the more you can provide content to help your your, your customers, 
the more they will trust you, the more they'll buy from you. It kind of coincides with the funnel system which you have in marketing. Uh, so they actually go very hand in hand in many ways. Um, but for me, content marketing is a way to educate uh, customers and then help them make the right decision for what they can buy, for, for instance. So, uh, so from from you know entrepreneurial standpoint, a lot of entrepreneurs. So, so there's like a fifty fifty split in my opinion. Some people are like uh, they're going crazy hard on building their personal brand. They're putting you know a lot of content out there. Um, most of that is a thought leadership kind of a stuff. Uh, and then there's the other side of the people that were like you know just doing all the business stuff, but they're like not building their personal brand. So one thing. Uh, so question number one is: uh, Do you guys help? entrepreneurs or just the companies and second is in your opinion how important is building a personal brand uh and putting content out there and establishing yourself as a as a market thought leader yeah it's actually exactly a great question um and just before i answer the question famously you know elon musk has more followers on twitter than tesla uh or spacex i think probably even combined together um so individuals make a bigger impact on thought leadership than, for example, um, uh, than companies put combined, they kind of build. Um, saying that, it's sometimes really hard to get people to actually lead with the thought leadership content because in, in organizations, especially if you look at the lifestyle of a company, you know, leadership changes, uh, sometimes changes for the, the better, sometimes doesn't change for the worse, but that changes. So. If a, if a leadership change team changes, then what happens to the, the, the brand of the company? Um, so, 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 so many a times, I think that's one of the reasons why people, you know, still go for uh, the company's brand as the entity and leadership is secondary to it. Um, I think it should go hand in hand. If you can achieve that, that's absolutely perfect. That's really where you can really sell uh, better. Uh, but it's in, in, being practical about it, it's actually really hard to do that. Uh, many, many leaders are not comfortable uh, to kind of get out there and, and do it. Other leaders, um, for the right reasons or, or wrong, uh, they prefer that's a brand of the company um, and not themselves. But this is something which will, you know, which, 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 when done correctly, personal brands can can make a real impact. But it's, it's also very challenging to do that because you need to have some a great story to tell to really build a great brand. And uh, you know, that in itself is challenging. Yeah. Speaking of great stories, how do you tell a great story? Like what exactly is great storytelling? Yeah, it's actually a great question. Um, I think great stories are, you know, there are different formats, you know, sort of the different formats, for example, you know, it's like, um, the the hero story where you you know you, things are going pretty crap and then you come in and you save the day for example that's one format there are a lot of different formats of telling telling great stories but fundamentally great stories one thing which is common among great stories is that they're consistent they're clear and there is a like a a beginning a middle section and and an end section which is clearly defined so when we talk about great stories. And we talk about great stories for, for companies or brands. It's about thinking about what is the story about? You know, what is the story of the company? What makes them unique? So sometimes technology itself doesn't have a USB. The story of the company and the product put together 
can be a total USB. Uh, I mean, I, I just give example of, of Tom Shoes, for example, earlier. You know, Tom Shoes gives away shoes to people who don't have you know, shoes to wear in developing countries uh, when you buy something in the developed country. I mean, that's a great example of a great story. But to make sure that that story is is actually resonating with people, people need to think about how do you create a great story and having those those storytelling guidelines available, so content guidelines available, having a clear value system available, having uh, understanding what to say at each time to be consistent. So everyone who tells the story does exactly the same way as the founder does or as the management does. And I think that's a very important part of telling great stories is to be consistent and to make sure that they actually align really well because otherwise, you know, it will be all over the place. Actually, won't help the company's story itself. Yeah. Do you think every founder is a great storyteller or they need to be? I think they need to be. But do you think everybody is a great storyteller? Um, no, but it's, but it's not it's not a problem because you can, you can learn that skill. I don't even think like, like storytelling, uh, you know, founders make great storytellers because they have a passion to do something they're in this game because they believe in something very strong and that that passion is generally very obvious when you speak with them so by default maybe they're not great storytellers uh, by training but they can build that skill they can build that muscle got it do you guys train founders to be a great storyteller in a company we don't we, we we typically work with B2B, we work with businesses basically, but we do we do we help unravel storytelling? Yes, we do. Uh, we, we do a lot of strategy work with, with, with customers and a part of that is to have, to make a boring subject interesting by having a story behind it. And everything we ever create uh, content-wise has a story behind it. So make sure that it follows great principles of storytelling. For white papers, ebooks, videos, whatever you might do, because people like stories. That's how you know, the primitive man used to like go out and and consume information. So this is why all the epics are so so epic because people love to hear stories and get inspired by it. Yeah, I think so. Most of our audience is, is young entrepreneurs, first time entrepreneurs, people who are like you know getting into that particular space, um, and and. That's the whole, that's the whole idea. Like the reason of starting this whole podcast is one because I like meeting new people, doing the thing that I actually love. But the second is uh, I could use something like that. You know, six years ago, me could definitely use something like that because at that point in time, the whole starting a company thing was like you just need to work like eighteen hours a day and you just need to understand that you have to do everything, like in perpetuity or something like that. And then you know you, you learn now this is this is wrong, this is wrong. So, you know, you need to build storytelling, you need to be good at sales, you need to be good at hiring. So these are all the other skills that, that comes, you know, other than just building any, any single thing, right? So uh, coming back to content, so uh, w- one thing that I, from, you know, very selfish reason wanted to ask you because you're, you're in that space. A couple of years ago, or maybe, you know, more years ago or something like that, this short form content was introduced, right? So, uh we can, we can talk about the ADHD and like whatnot, but the short form content just came into existence and everybody just like, you know, the attention span from like an hour, two hours video dropped to maybe under a minute or something like that. So what's your take? Like, where do you stand on this entire short form, long form, you know, uh, content debate? Yeah. As a exactly great question. Um, as I was saying, 
earlier, if you look at marketing, it's an ever-changing field. The principles have been the same. Um, there is a a sort of a, a movement towards short span of, of attention. This is something that's happening to to us. I mean, you know, a biggest one of the biggest um, uses of chat GPT is summarize things. Well, why is that? Because we can't be asked to read the whole bloody email or the whole whole document. We like, oh, summarize this for me, just so we can understand what's going on. And I think it's 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 a probably multiple things which are happening here. One is people are just pressed for time in general. There's a lot of things happening. Um, number two is there is a you know we are <clears throat> almost trained or conditioned to get snackable type of content now, uh, which was not available in the past. I mean, back in the day. When I first saw, saw television, there was long documentaries, you know, and there was just that content you could consume. That was it. Um, so uh, now that we have the option, we prefer the shortcut way to like to, like to see things. And I mean, if you look at marketing, a lot of the time what marketers tell you is, you know, do what the client wants. So the client wants likable content, it was likable content. And uh, in that principle, yes, there is a a drive towards you know short form videos uh summarized content saying that when you're looking at especially b2b marketing um you know as i mentioned before content is a gift you're giving to your customers to to to, to actually um train them or help them educate them and um, sometimes short form content is not good enough for that that knowledge transfer or that education part and so you need to do long-form content. And long-form content also tends to be more thorough as well. So even if, if now if you're looking to do something which is groundbreaking, you have to still read these large research papers, for example. There is no short way of doing it. Um, so, and if you think about it, that's why Google, you know, there is a bare minimum keyword count which Google considers as a good practice to rank better on search engine. Search engine. So there is still a a reason to do long form content because it actually does educate people better and that's what people need when they come to your content. how do you create a great quality content like what's the essence of creating a great content i think great content is only created when when someone can actually add real value uh to the to the, to the person it should be clear concise basically adding a lot of value and how do you add value well as it happens and no surprises there you need people who understand understand the, the subject really well, has a unique perspective on it, um, has something just really unique about their thinking or their knowledge or their insights. That's what great content looks like, and this is why, with you know, suddenly this. I mean, obviously we're in the era of of AI or LLMs, large language models, uh, GPTs, chat GPTs coming into play, and there's BARD, and there's everybody else coming to, in, into play. And there's a, a, a worry, a, a big worry by, com by companies that listen, that they'll make us totally uh, irrelevant, especially with like a lot of agencies. But the reality is, you know, as technology is getting better with AI to generate content, AI is getting smarter to pick up what's thought leadership content. I mean, just try this out, right? Generate content using using ChatGPT, and then feed that into ChatGPT and get, ask to give it a score, and then create something very really unique, thought leadership content, which is created by real human beings, high value. Maybe there's a bit of AI involved, but mainly the, the bulk of it is done by human beings who understand the subject matter, 
and feed that into it and also give it score out of, out of 10 or a percentage and you'll see that the that unique content scores better right that's chat gpt giving you a score imagine what happens within google or bing this is similar they have these transformers directly analyzing the content type and seeing how good or bad it is so thought leadership content is always going to win whether it's ai or there's no ai uh, it's a bit like you know when the machines came into into play there's a time when they were doing all hand knitting for example but still today you know handmade shoes handmade clothes are still valued much higher than machine machine based stuff right it's the same sort of analogy there so this like very naive sort of question so so yeah uh because like i'm not i'm not as much you know into the marketing space especially um seo game and stuff like that so just wanted to know all these people and and there's like there's a whole bunch of things uh that are created outside just chat gpt so chat gpt is probably like what people are talking about but i think there's there's a couple of programs called right sonic or this and that so they were you know um based on the same open ai's apis or whatever so uh and people are creating like a lot of content there so for example just just throwing numbers here a 2000 word blog post would need i don't know a week for a good writer to write because they need to research they need to add value to it they need to add unique perspective like all of that stuff ai can write that in like what one minute two minutes maximum like depending upon the word count and all of that stuff um so yeah you know totally agree on the quality standpoint but do you think people creating these content and because there's like uh the availability and the abundance of that and somebody you know post that content on their website they have a higher chance of getting ranked up in google or like what do you think google is going to do or like what they are doing because you're in the space uh in order to mitigate that yeah um it's actually it's actually a very you know, fair question um yeah in the short term yeah there are lots and lots of videos and tiktoks and tweets talking about how they game the system by launching 10,000 articles by AI and they're ranked number one. Now, that for me is a flash in the pan. It is not, a, it's it's a, a short-term thing where, you know, things work that way. I mean, Google is famous, famously, it was famous to kind of change the algorithm all the time and the scoring criteria. It, it takes literally, you know, a flick, flick of a switch from there and then suddenly the website's ranked differently. Um, there is no incentive, if you think about from the point of view of AI, to rank remix content using other AIs, for example. Because if you think of, about AI, AI's real, if, if you think of it like, like a cookie monster, cookie monsters like to have cookies, AI monster likes to have new information, it's unique, so they can learn from it and become smarter, right? There's no incentive for AI to like look at existing content remixed and use and feed that in. It needs perspectives on things. So yes, there is a case of sudden spike in like AI generated content, ranking really well. It's a matter of time before that thing switches again. And it's going to be again thought leadership and quality. There there is no other way. There is no other way because for 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 era and for you know I mean look look, look around us. Let, let's, let's forget about content for now. Let's look at, for example, you know, high quality products you can buy, bags, shirts, shoes, for example. People still value quality and they still value, they are happy to pay extra money to buy 
handmade stuff than to kind of go and you know buy generic produce mass produced stuff and there's, there's a difference in that right there is a difference in people's perception I, at the end of the day we are human beings we have a a, a bias towards talking to the other human beings buying stuff from other human beings that's just never going to change um and so i'm not worried about this whole flash in the pan like ai moment where they suddenly get ranked really high because it will, it's going to fall for sure do so you think that's just like that's a bubble that people are living in it's going to burst like relatively sooner um, again it's logical it's, it's just logic right i mean no one knows the future no, no one knows the future but I, I, but if i was to look at a crystal ball i'll say that that's that's it's a short term thing it's short termism in that mindset i think there's no replacement for high quality content there's this is not from an insider perspective what do you think google must be thinking with all these people generating these ai based content and just you know putting putting it online kind of tricking their whole algorithm so to speak uh because as far as i know seo and the search engine optimization that's a, that's a huge industry i don't know it's like worth 80 billion or like whatever so uh they're not going to let it go just away just like yeah okay somebody just came up with an ai thing and yeah like we're done with 100 billion or like whatever so what do you think they they must be thinking i'm i'm sure they are like you know figuring out what's the right way to to monitor like that's a human written content that's an ai written content and probably not going to rank that so what what do you think about that yeah so i mean i think just to start to answer the question i'll say check out this website called gpt0.com um where they can accurately tell you which content is done by ai ai plus humans uh bard chat gpt3 chat gpt4 can give you some really really clear indications and markations of what's done now this is just a company doing it right uh imagine google's budget for example what what they're spending on the intersection of ai um i think what's interesting is that um that that google understands what ai was not ai it, it gets it um uh, they probably don't talk about it openly but they get it and um and it's a matter of time i think at this point in time there is a lot of changes happening and it's only fair that you know people are observing what's going on but always looking at content and marketing quality wins over quantity it's always almost always the case um and with ai um if the quality is not focused on i mean there's no nothing wrong with using ai for ge- generating content but if the majority of the piece is not done to add value for the end user and to really create something which is unique and 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 novel then it defeats the purpose of content in the first place and uh, that will that, so and if you look at google's algorithm or just look at any any search engine they are they mimicking the real life scenario in the in the form of algorithms so you know what's press re- you know what's pr ranking which they had before it's the ranking of what website is the most talked about for example most linked to for example uh what has the most content and most knowledgeable information that is what is mimicking so keeping that in mind i don't see a scenario where google will not penalize you know mass spammers using sort of ai content for example coming back to you know uh startups and and all of that thing so I, I, how many startups did you build like three i think three or four yeah three so uh like what what were those all about like you know every company like what did you do what um, you know did you exit them 
what happened to all of them the first one was a social media software company uh which didn't go <clears throat> going to plan exactly uh it was a great learning curve uh but in the back of that i had a lot of learnings and opportunities and the, the second one in the middle was a a hen party company so a bachelorette party company which became the uk's largest hen party hen party company um uh, <clears throat> and um yeah i then did an exit in that company it was it was actually a good sale for me uh so i've taken one company from zero to acquisition uh the first one was uh a learning curve and this one hopefully to to, to take it to ipo yeah that's great that's great um all right so raj we have a bit of a ritual on the podcast so what we do is and since that that's like since episode 1 so what we do is we ask all our guests a question for our next guest without knowing who the next guest is going to be so obviously we have a question for you uh and after that also going to you know ask you a question which obviously not going to be a part of the you know recording but we're going to ask uh, or save it for our next guest okay so uh the question that the previous guest left for you without knowing who you were who who you are uh if you could upload yourself as an ai what kind of ai capabilities would you have i think if i was to upload myself as an as an ai i probably would be an ai which would focus uh on optimizing for for happiness uh this is something that i do a lot uh after that begins in my life i i optimize for happiness i, I optimize you know some people optimize for more cash some people optimize for you know being stronger i optimize for being being happier so i i try to do things in my life which will make me happy and fulfilled and so if i was an ai or certainly somebody is ai which will optimize people's lives as a ai tool to make the life better how do you how do you make yourself more happy um so i used to be a very chubby chubby kid uh, chubby chubby young adult i i was about at one point i was 110 kilograms and now i'm about 76 so i do I, i do enjoy my you know making sure that i um do a bit of like working out you know stay healthy i eat healthy i love i, I enjoy actually really enjoy cuisines i travel the world for to try different cuisines um, i have a traveler of just just come back from japan when i was in cape town so i do a lot of traveling and i actually really enjoy that it's good for the soul and enriching for the mind um i i'm part of the thing called called eo entrepreneurs organization it's a premium um network of entrepreneurs across the world 17500 members across the world so i'm a part of that i not only i'm part of that also volunteer my time uh, as well after you know being super busy with everything else but i think it's again really good for the soul to give the gift of eo to other entrepreneurs um so that's some of the things i do but but also like with work life balance i make sure that i also spend time like weekends off for my family i don't like to take weekends away for work for example so all the things i do i i try to optimize for happiness i have a lovely team or a respect and i want to make their lives happier as well so that is my my sort of giving to 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 my team and to my customers i guess all right raj thank you so much for the time I appreciate you jumping on the call and then uh it's a great conversation 
and really love talking to you. Likewise, Mr. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Good to be here. And thanks for all the lovely questions you asked today. Okay. Have a nice one. You too.